Mr. Sergeant. Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And the, the new season is almost upon us. We had a little sneak preview with the uh, Community Shield, which I'm sure Jason will want to talk about. And also a little bit of a throwback to last season with the All or Nothing uh, documentary on Amazon Prime. The first three episodes of that out today. Um Speaking about stuff on the pitch, though, Jason, I suspect you probably have a lot to say about Arsenal's Community Shield victory over Liverpool. Oh, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a joy to watch us kind of pick up where we where we left off um, against Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Um, Bamiyang doing what he does best—a stunning goal, a team goal—and and that kind of uh, total football style is back. You know, playing it out the back. Looks a bit risky, but they're doing it well and they're using all sides of the pitch and, and, and knowing where their target is and finishing. I mean, it, it is a real identity under Arteta, it seems, uh, based on the last few months um, of football. And, uh, you know, when Minamino scored, I thought, oh, here we go. We, I, I was still happy that, you know, I even said to my, my dad, you know, let it go to penalties. It's a bit of fun. Let's see what happens. Um, and I didn't really expect us to... to uh, win on penalties. I wasn't sure whether Liverpool's kind of, you know, confidence and, and, and that, that kind of maturity would, would prevail, but we all struck fantastic penalties and won the shootout. So it's uh, it's better there was an extra time. It's it's not always a nice way to end a competition, but for one like this, it's, it's good for the spectators, good to kind of get these young boys facing pressure and adversity. Um, and we've got to be happy with that. Uh, it, it was just a really nice way to start the new football season. And, and although, yes, it's the Charity Shield, Community Shield, it's it's the FA Cup winners versus the Premier League winners. It's not a competition in itself. In itself, it is nice to say, OK, it counts as a major honour on the list and on the Wikipedia page, which we know Wikipedia pages are the are the objective source of all, of all uh, standards in, in football. Um, thus Amari Bischoff at the time. Uh, very poor behaviour not having a Wikipedia page back in the uh, late 2000s. Um, so yeah, very happy with that. In terms of seeing kind of a glimpse of our team next season, I'm not sure. You know, there's there's lots of questions about the goalkeeping situation, which we can go into a little bit later. Um, I'm very much Team Martinez. I've not uh, been shy to, to kind of question Leno's um, ability in the Arsenal between the Arsenal sticks. Um, Bellerin looked really off pace, which was disappointing, and he has for a long time. And, you know, the, if rumours are to be believed, he could be off to PSG. So it, it looks like the end of the line for him, but Cedric doesn't look like a, you know, he might be ready for a year, but but not the long-term solution. Um, and I can't see Maitland-Niles staying at right back. I don't think that's what he wants. Um, no no Saliba, which was a, was a surprise to not see him at all. But I think Arteta thought, let's put him in when there's less pressure, you know, less big game, less eyes on him, and see what he can do. David Luiz obviously is going to be a fixture, and we've got to we've got to cope with that. Um, Tierney great as always. Saka looks fantastic. Shaka looks brilliant. El Nene, I don't even know what's going on there, but he, well, I thought I thought he was gone genuinely, but he he seems to be able to put a good shift in. Um, but interesting. No Pepe and Lacazette. Um, I believe it could have been something to do with quarantine, but it is interesting. 
Um, and more notably, no Gwendozi and Urzel still. So, you know, we've got about a month and a bit to sort that out because we can't be going into a new season with those shadows over our club. So there's still a lot of questions. No Willian to watch either. So it's kind of same as last season. We haven't, I haven't seen yet what this next stage of Arsenal is going to be. But, you know, there's been, there's been big movement d- during the past uh, few weeks since we last spoke, you know, getting rid of our um, our, our um, executive, Raul Sinelli. So that was a big move. Um, someone who's been brokering a lot of those deals that have had uh, big question marks and raised eyebrows. Um, so stuff's going on behind the background. Like I just hope they can put that all behind them and go one game at a time come in a couple of weeks and start with three points away to Fulham. So that's kind of the perspective for me, I suppose, on a playing perspective. And it's and it's all positive. Um, but a note of caution that it is the community shield and it, and uh, it doesn't mean anything really unless they go and uh, smash the beginning of the, of the Premier League season. And so kind of going towards your side, I mean, in terms of playing not so much, non-playing, you had the news about your first Europa League opponents and... Uh, probably more, even more notably and more recent um, is the announcement of or the release of All or Nothing, or as I like to call it, Nothing, um, which I've said a few times uh, on Amazon Prime. So, yeah, um, take it away. I, I've got a few notes as an Arsenal fan. I've only seen the episode and a half, but I thought it was better than I thought it would be in terms of how rich the content is. Um but I'd be interested to hear your perspective and if there's anything off the pitch that's kind of been getting catching your eye ahead of the new season. Yeah, yeah. So it's, obviously it's strange because we're getting ready for, for the new season and yet with with this documentary release now, it's kind of looking back to last season again, which we'd, we'd kind of put to bed. And, and to be honest, all throughout last season, when everything was going wrong, when we lost 7-2 to Bayern, when Pochettino was sacked, the fact that we knew Amazon were there filming it all just made everything worse but then as the season finished on on a bit more of a positive note than was expected and as I had a little break from football I started to actually look forward to this documentary and especially when I saw the trailers and I think now the first few episodes are out which I binged all at once which I suspect a lot of Spurs fans would have done just watch all three episodes at once and to be honest I wish they were all up there because I probably would still be watching it now if they were um and it's clear that it's the Jose Mourinho show I mean as soon as Jose came in it was clear that he would be receptive to having the cameras around that he would play up to the cameras. We know he likes to to play the media. And I think you can tell in that, in that first episode, you've seen the difference between him and Pochettino. I think obviously given that Mourinho came in, it was clear that they weren't going to go into too much detail on, on Pochettino. They, they wanted to move it on to Jose Mourinho, but I think you could tell that Pochettino wasn't really cooperating with it. There was, I think only one interview with him, in there that wasn't just from a press conference, which they couldn't have got anyway. And I think you can tell when Jose comes in, the shift then in the access, all of a sudden the camera's in the changing room a lot more, on the training pitch a lot more. He's letting them into to one-on-one meetings with the players. And I think with Mourinho in, he he makes the show. I think it would be a very different programme had, had he not come in. And obviously there's a question as to whether is what's good for entertainment value for a documentary, what's best for the club and for the team, which, you know, only time will tell. But I think you can see in, in those first few episodes how Mourinho did have an impact when he came in. And I think it, it, it justifies Levy's decision. I think there were a lot of question marks at the time as, as to whether or not 
it was the right decision for Pochettino to leave and Jose to come in. But looking back at it and, and seeing the immediate impact he had in terms of performances and results, I think it once again vindicates that decision. And I think you can see even through the brief glimpses that you get of Pochettino that he had come to the end of his time at Tottenham. Um, I think ultimately that, you know, there's nothing in the documentary that the club won't be happy for people to see. And we saw with the Manchester City all or nothing that ultimately these things are PR exercises, they're brand building. It's it's all about the exposure and the profile of the club. But I think because you have Jose coming in and, and all of the drama that we had last season, it was always going to be much more interesting than the Manchester City one where they, there was no drama to it because it was documenting a season where they won the league with 100 points. Whereas this, you've got moving it, you know, first full season, the new stadium, Jose coming in, there, there was so much incident and drama that it, it makes for good television, even if it perhaps isn't as fly on the wall as perhaps people would have liked. I saw people saying, oh, you know, they wanted to see, you know, actually see the moment when Pochettino was sacked, which to be honest, I'm, I'm glad either wasn't on film or if it was that they didn't show it. Because I think, you know, there's some things that as a fan, you don't want to see because you worry that it might be a little bit too embarrassing or a little bit too revealing. But I think it is very exciting. I mean, you know, just as a fan, it's exciting to see your club on on a stage like that, to see a programme made about your club, to get that behind the scenes look. I'm sure you would love to see an equivalent programme at, at, at Arsenal and to get that glimpse at how your manager works and, and how he interacts with the players. So, yeah, I think, you know, as a fan, it's fascinating and entertaining to see. And I think enough, enough has ha- happened now. The dust has settled from last season that we are able to look at it a bit more objectively and enjoy it as a as a documentary and as a behind the scenes glimpse and not get too worried. I don't know whether I've just become desensitised now to how bad last season was. But, you know, seeing the Bayern uh, game again, it, it didn't hurt as much because you know what's coming and it's contextualised. And it's just interesting to see to see that background. Um, I'm wondering, yeah, for you, as particularly as an Arsenal fan, what it's like to, to get this gl- glimpse behind, behind closed doors of, of a rival club and whether it's changed your own perceptions of, of Jose and whether, yeah, you'd, you'd like to see Arsenal get the, the same sort of treatment. I, I, I have to be honest. I, I was very sceptical looking at the trailers and thinking, well, hold on a sec, this is just going to be embarrassing. And you know what? I, I really enjoyed the first episode and I, I laughed a lot. Um, mostly at sort of the uh, um, the regressing Spurs um, scenes, but there were a couple of things. Um, first of all, I had I, I wanted to take you to task on is the the Tom Hardy um, voiceover. It sounds like he's voicing over some Lord of the Rings <laughs> trilogy, and you know, creating a team of global superstars. The managers taking them to the heights of Europe. The season most defining in the club's history. I mean, it's very nice, but you're not Man United or or Man City, or Liverpool, or Real Madrid, or Barcelona. That's. I just want to put that out there. And and you put a very good point in um, that this is PR. I mean, I I wrote down this is a Daniel Levy PR exercise. I had no idea how involved day to day he was. You know, he even pops in and says, "Oh, how was your first day?" Like, it's very very interesting how involved he is day to day. And I'm not sure how much that happens at other clubs and you know he's always in the media as Daniel Levy's going to buy this player rather than a lot of the clubs say you know uh Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to buy that player or it was the Ed Woodward show but it, it's kind of a slightly different narrative and I guess going from the start I saw a little bit it seemed a bit awkward with Pochettino he did not look happy and obviously that was the circumstances um, but it all seemed a bit of an awkward relationship between him and Levy and 
And you're right that the shift really changes when Jose comes in, even to the extent where in the cafe they're all having breakfast and there's just these running images of him lifting trophies and running and doing his controversial celebrations. And it's it's all very indulgent to Jose, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what he's done. And I'm sh- I'm almost certain there has been a little bit of editorial treatment done by the Spurs team. I wouldn't be surprised if they thought, mm, just add a little bit of that in, do a bit of that, and, and catering towards certain scenarios that put him in that light, that this is, you know, let's deflect away from the team and their poor results, and let's talk about Jose and how successful he is um, in the past. It was, um, it was interesting how transparent Jose Mourinho was. I, I really didn't expect that much, you know, how candid he'd be. You know, even being like, you're too nice, you know, Delhi Ali, you're lazy, and calling out, calling him out in front of, you know, his whole team. It's embarrassing. Even in the second episode with Aurier, you know, basically being like, I'm scared of you because you can't mark. I mean, that is, it is so brave. And it it's kind of the management style I like. I like this kind of black or white. Everyone knows where they stand. Um, and it also this kind of psychology, because it was really interesting from my perspective, seeing him talk with Levy about we need to find the right motivation for Delhi and and kind of you you saw behind um the four West Ham there was like these he was give, doing them giving them like positive affirmations before the game um and I think that's what makes Jose so good or has made him good as he he's tapped into the the mental side of football and and, and made teams uh winners um and he, he's got a challenge on his hands you know even Kane saying himself you know being at a club like Tottenham. And that was really interesting to me. It was almost like him and Jose looking at each other, thinking him trying to say, listen, I, I you need to help me out here because I can't do it all on my own. Um, and I, I think he seems to have put that fire in Kane, you know, even just the, the swearing terminology in, in the pre-match talk, it's, it felt very Jose, like Kane has really adopted it. Um, and I, I think... You know what I saw from those episode that episode and a half was Delhi Ali coming across very badly, and I, w- I want to speak ask you about that in a sec about whether you think he was happy about his documentary, and I don't know how it's going to end with him, but but it comes across very badly in terms of his attitude. He seems very nonchalant, uh, very much the rebel, and it kind of coincided with poor form in the end of the day um, towards the end of the season, and and I don't know what's going to happen for him this season. Um, but overall, yeah, I was I was impressed with the way Jose comes across. He doesn't come across as this horrible guy. You know, he's really trying to get him to know. And he even says it up front, listen, I'm going to be honest either way, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and you can see he's passionate. So when when I say he's a dinosaur and all that, I kind of have to take it back because passion is not a dinosaur, you know, attitude. Passion is everything at the end of the day, um, especially in, a, in an industry like football. And, um, you know... I I'm very impressed with the way he asserts his dominance, but again, I don't know whether he's got the team that he needs. He even was saying to to his assistant, you know, they're too nice. They're nice boys, aren't they? And and whether or not he can bring in those players that he needs. And I I wonder whether that that's that was that driving factor between some by getting someone like Hoiberg. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about this, and I didn't really get it, but. They are sort of he's sort of player who will, you know, put in a few tackles and 
and speak a few words back. I'm not quite sure Doherty's in that in that frame, but um, it, it's very interesting. I think I can see what he's doing, and and later on in, in your season, I'm sure we'll see in the documentary. Um, I remember, you know, Hungman's son's red cards and and Dyer's kind of confrontation. Those are things that I said wouldn't have happened under Pochettino, and and in a way, not that it's a good thing, but seeing a little bit of aggression certainly seems to be a winning formula in a lot of these successful teams. Um, so, yeah, bottom line is I'm very impressed. Um, I'm more of a Jose fan than I was already. Um, but I, I, I think um, I, th- I think there's still a lot of problems with your with your team, your players, and, and I, I don't even – I haven't quite seen on the field yet. Whatever happens to that last season, we'll see behind the scenes, um, whether it's actually paid off um, – the way that Jose would think. So, yeah, I guess uh, to throw it back to you, just about that Deli Ali comment, um, what are your thoughts on the on the PR side for him and, and how he comes across so far? Yeah, it's interesting because Deli was one of maybe three or four players who they had a big kind of premiere event for it the last week. And I think they had Lloris, Son, Mora and Deli with Jose kind of talking to the press and, and being there for the premiere. And I think Deli was asked, about those comments and he he said about how he he had to accept it and that it was right and they have a meeting i don't know if it's in episode two or three but a one-to-one with jose and delhi and and jose says to him that this is he he says these things because he likes him because he wants him he knows how good he can be and he wants him to reach reach those heights and i think you can see that delhi does respond he responds well to it when you look at performances i mean when jose first came in delhi was one of the, the biggest performers. I think he set up two goals against West Ham. He, he scored two goals against Bournemouth, scored against Man United, scored against Olympiacos. I think he was the best player under Jose for the first maybe five or six games. And then things sort of went south for him, I think, with, with injuries. And then it was interesting, post-lockdown, he was kind of out of the team through injury. And then the way the team was set up with the 4-3-3, a lot of Spurs fans have been wondering where Dele Alli now fits in, in Jose's first team if, if you're going to have a front three of Kane with Sora uh, Sora Son and Mora on the wings um new, new term for now Sora um and if you're going to have like a midfield three of say Lo Celso presumably Hoyerberg now and I don't know Winks and Dembele's is okay maybe Delhi fits in that midfield three but we know really his best position is is pretty much right behind Kane as a, as a second striker sort of number 10 and so there is a big question mark over Delhi Ali going into the season about does he fit into Jose's preferred team? But on the flip side, in our preseason matches, as, as much as you can read into preseason, we've only played, I think, Ipswich, um, Reading and, and Birmingham. But Delhi has been, I think, played in all three games, been scoring goals and, and been playing really well. And again, Jose has been been talking talking Delhi up again. So I think Delhi will be very interesting to look at going into this season, whether where he features in, in Jose's plans, whether we're going to play 4-2-3-1 more than we think and, and Delhi will be a central part of our team or whether he's going to really have to fight his way back into contention. But based on pre-season performance going into next season and based on how he immediately reacted to those comments from Jose, I think he's responded positively to it. I don't think he would have seen the sort of performances we got from Delhi when Jose came in if he hadn't responded to what he'd said. And I don't think he'd be playing as well as he has been in, in pre-season if he, if he wasn't responding well to it. So I think 
I think in many ways it, it could be potentially the best thing that, that could happen to Delhi. You know, who knows, maybe he was drifting a bit, maybe he was getting complacent and having a manager like Jose come in and, and give him that kick up the backside is, is what he needs to then take that next step and, and keep improving. But on the other hand, yeah, you do wonder whether he'll appreciate the fact that, he, I mean, he was called out in front of the whole team. So it's not like it's something his teammates weren't aware of, but I guess it's one thing it happening at the time and then another for it to be in a documentary that the whole world is seeing. But footballers get a lot of criticism in public, in private, and, and that's something that they have to deal with and, and use that to to motivate them and, and prove people wrong. And I have a feeling that Delhi could be a beneficiary of Jose's management if he uh, keeps working hard. And I mean, that's what the evidence suggests so far. But I think on Jose, as you were saying, I think you can see with stuff like Delhi, A, why Jose has been such a successful manager over the years, why he is still such a good manager. But then on the flip side, why maybe he does end up exhausting people, why he doesn't tend to last longer than three years at a club, because maybe there is only so long you can have that style of leadership before it starts to to grate on people, before people start to fight back, before it stops working, before maybe the criticism falls on deaf ears because they know the, the, the reasons underlying it and it's to get a reaction and, and the moment they stop reacting what else do you then have to motivate them with so it'll be interesting to see whether how long Jose lasts at Spurs and whether he has adapted his management style in any way because that was a big conversation when he came to Spurs is has he changed because of how things ended at United and Chelsea and it's interesting that we don't really have sort of the behind the scenes footage from those clubs to compare and contrast it but I get the impression that he's still fundamentally the same manager using the same methods and hopefully in the short term, they'll have the same results at Spurs in terms of success. But it'll be interesting in the long term. But on transfers with Hoiberg, I think you're you're spot on. And I think if you look at Hoiberg, Hart, and potentially Doherty, who knows? But I think all three of them, there's, there's a clear trend there in terms of Premier League proven, dependable, reliable. He, he won't have to worry about them adjusting to the Premier League. He'll know they'll be able to hit the ground running. Hardworking, tough physically. and vocal in the dressing room and, and and leaders and people who won't be afraid, as you said, to to dig out teammates and criticize and, and to to bring a different dynamic in. And I think it's clear with the profile of the players he's bringing in that he's looking for a particular type of personality to to shake up that dressing room. And I think actually in terms of transfers, it's been one of the most successful transfer windows I can remember at Spurs in terms of the, the efficiency of the business, getting all these transfers done before the season started, normally deals for us are dragging on right to the end of the window. And we're starting a season without the players that we need. And also in terms of addressing the weaknesses in the squad, fullback, Aurier, I think he improved massively under Jose Mourinho, but he was still defensively uh, defensively an accident waiting to happen. And Doherty at Wolves has shown what he can do. And I think will instantly uh, improve our squad at the back. Hoiberg, can provide that balance in midfield okay Joe Hart is coming in as a number two and number three but you feel like he'll be a good character to have around the place supposedly Dyer and Kane and Delhi and the English players look up to him and respect him which you can imagine because when they were first coming through the England team he would have been England number one and a big leader and a, a big person in that dressing room and you know who knows what what transfers could could yet be to come but I think there was worries that maybe as you said, with Jose not getting the players that he wants, that Mourinho wouldn't be able to cope with 
the restrictions, particularly particularly financially, that he'd have to contend with at Spurs, which he's never had to before, or not recently anyway, at Real Madrid, at United, at Chelsea. He could pretty much, by and large, get any player he wants. And, and there was, I think, concerns going into the transfer market. Is Mourinho going to be able to to deal with the, um, the constraints at Spurs? But it, it seems like, if anything, he's embraced that and picked realistic, reasonable targets that fall within our budget, but that do address key concerns in the squad. And he's getting business done. And it seems like, if anything, he's proving to have a far more effective relationship when it comes to transfers with Levy than, than Pochettino did. Now, obviously, we know Jose can be very quick to to complain and, and the mood sour if, if, if things don't go well. But it seems like he's having a very good transfer window in terms of identifying realistic targets who who fit a role in the squad who improve the strength and depth improve the personality in the team and getting them in in time to to train with them and get the principles in before the season starts so in terms of Delhi, i've been encouraged by his response both then and now and in terms of the transfers i think we've had a, a surprisingly efficient window and i'm interested to see now whether if we can bring in another striker to provide competition and back up to kane then we've basically addressed all the big concerns in our squad, which I don't think Spurs have done in a transfer window for a very long time. And I suppose, throwing that back to you with Arsenal, how do you rate your transfer activity and, and what's still left to be done? You mentioned the goalkeeper situation with Martinez. And you know, I just wonder with you know, Aubameyang not confirmed yet, probably a new contract. Obviously, you need that because he's your, your talisman. We saw that in the Community Shield again as in the FA Cup final. But Willian and, and other players, I, I was wondering how, how good a transfer window do you think this has been for Arsenal? And, and are you worried that, as you said, Gwendozi, Ozil, there's still, for me, seems to be so much up in the air at Arsenal in terms of who's the number one goalkeeper. Is Aubameyang still signing contract? Yeah, are you worried that the summer transfer window perhaps hasn't gone as smoothly as it as it could have done and, and should have done considering the successful way you ended last season? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of spin on this transfer window by the club because there's been a lot of talk about trying to bring in the players that Arteta wants and the contract situations. Um, they announced on Twitter, I think it was last week or the week before, um, Cedric and Mari um, permanently signed for the club. And all the fans, we were thinking, we knew that a month ago. So why are they repurposing this kind of information? Um, and I think it's to kind of, you know, show that this summer for Arteta, I think it's more about keeping people and seeing who wants to be part of the project um, and then getting rid of everyone else. Um, you know, there's been a lot of rumours about everyone, you know, from Martinez and goal to Maitland-Niles to Bellerin to apparently Rob Holdings heading out to Newcastle on loan for the season. Um, you know, um, El Mene, is he going to stay at the club? Lacazette, is he going to Atletico or Juve? Um, Aubameyang, obviously, with the big contract talks. So it's been a little bit unsettling, I must be honest with you. Um, I think going through the team, at the top, it's a tough one because I I am a firm believer that, based on the performances I've seen over the last year and a bit, that Martinez deserves to be number one over Bernard Leno. And if Bernard Leno can't take that, then he should go on loan or he should leave the club. That is my point of view. It's It's great to have competition, but if I was Martinez, I'd be thinking, well, I'm, I've been here before and I'm not prepared to, you know, have one bad mistake. Arteta benches me and then I'm not my stock's fallen for January. So if he left, I would understand. I just think 
this is his time. And I also think, to be fair, you know, he's done what he needed to do. He's grown through the ranks. He's fought for his place, been at the club for a decade, won a trophy, been the man of the match, um, and maybe it's time to go. I wouldn't be happy if he did, but I understand. And, and, and you know, I don't believe that Leno making a few mistakes once in a while is the cause of us not being at the top of our game. Um, across the back line, you know, William Saliba was... Well, sounds like a great signing. He looks the part physically. You can see he looks mature more so than when he, he joined the year before. You know, he he looks like he's ready and ready to go. All the sounds coming out of the club are saying that he is a great defender. He's, he's you know, and it sounds like from what fans are saying, who've watched him over in the French league at Saint-Étienne this year, um, is that he's, you know, ready-made and he's, he's going to be great. And alongside... It sounds like any minute we'll be signing this Gabriel Magalhaes from Lille, a 22-year-old centre-back who who has the profile, the sort of player that you know you'd expect an Arteta to be signing. Young, bit exper- bit of experience on the top stage, uh, good value, and ready to go. So having someone, those two young centre-backs alongside David Luiz, who whatever you say about him, is more experienced than a whole squad put together in terms of the major honours. Um, and, and in English football, um, and has a lovely pass on him, um, can only help. The, the fullback situation, Tierney's got that left-back spot nailed on. Um, the right-back, again, it, I, I mentioned it before, I, don't, I just don't know what's going on there. Um, with the midfield, we've been trying to sign Ceballos, I believe, again, with to no avail. And I believe they want to keep him, or he wants to go to Real Batiste, so... Well, just to, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but on that point, I've just seen a tweet come up from uh, Fabriziano Romano, who yes. is obviously the the don when it comes to transfer news. And 20 minutes ago, he tweeted, Danny Ceballos is coming back to Arsenal on loan. Advanced wow. talks and agreement to be completed soon. Wow. Breaking news. There we go. So <laughs> thank you very much. But point on the buzzer. Danny Ceballos coming back. So, yeah, I was going to say that was going to be the signing um, who we needed. You know, we needed our most attacking, creative player towards the end of the season um, to go alongside the crunching tackles of Shaka. So I think for consistency, to know that he's going to fit straight back in can only be great news. Um, And I think that it talks a lot about Arsenal not wanting to spend that big money in this window because they don't have it. You know, we couldn't go out and buy a 50 million party. A loan for Ceballos is a godsend. Um, I think that's probably it then in terms of midfield. And up front, you know, the new signing for us is Aubameyang. Getting him on for another three years is priceless. I just, I'm slightly worried that despite, you know, Pepe and Saka on the wings, great. Um, Nelson can chip in. Martinelli, when he's back, I think he's got a big future. I'm not convinced at all by Eddie Nketiah. Um, and I'm really worried that if Aubameyang is one injury away, we are we are doomed. We, we basically don't have a a replacement striker for him that's going to be able to score the goals. And uh, I, would, I don't think we can get anyone else. And I think Arteta's probably pinning his hopes on Martinelli coming back in a, a couple of months and, um, and, and, you know, hitting the ground running. Um, it's just a little bit worrying if Lacazette leaves and that's all we're left with. So I'd say in terms of, you know, if the Ceballos rumour is true now and Gabriel Magalhães signs, I think that will be that for Arsenal. 
I just have this feeling that's where he wants to improve. And he really wants to look at, you know, Emil Smith Rowe's comeback from loan. Um, there's there's these certain players in the youth team that are starting to come through. And I think they want to just, he wants to see who's committed, who's here, who can I improve, because that's his skill. Um, the money's not there. We need to shift off the Urzels and the Gwendozies and uh, and then see what the situation is in January. So I'm I'm actually happy for once with an Arsenal transfer window by not signing lots and lots of players because I think we need to build on the Arteta momentum rather than throwing money at oh, a lot of money at overpriced players. And I forgot just now completely about Willian, um, which in my mind now I see him as a real rotational player. You know, you, you put him on when the going gets tough and you need a bit of quality. But I really believe that Arteta should be starting with the younger players and upskilling them so that they're ready um, as soon as possible because Willian's not going to be around forever, um, albeit the contract length would probably suggest otherwise. So it's, um, yeah, it's positive. It's not quite a Spurs transfer window where, you know, you're signing that proven Premier League quality in the positions you need. I think it's very... It's very vague with Arsenal still. Arteta wants versatile players in a range of positions and he wants to figure it out as he goes along. Whereas I think Jose has been a lot more pragmatic and said, this is what I need. This is what we're going for. Bang, bang, bang. Let's start the season. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I was, I was interested, you know, your opening fixtures look OK. I mean, Everton um, look like they're trying to sign uh, every man and his dog at the moment um, in terms of the veterans of the Premier League. But, uh, you know playing Everton, Newcastle, Southampton. Do you feel confident about the start of your season? No. Uh, <laughs> mainly because of the Europa League qualifying games, which I think could potentially make our start to the season a lot more difficult than it should be. So we've got Everton home first game of the season. We, we beat them 1-0 at home after lockdown. It was, I think it was an own goal. It was quite a close, scrappy game. I can imagine it being... A similar sort of match. Then we're away to Lokomotiv Plovdiv of Bulgaria uh, on the Thursday and then away at Southampton on, on the Sunday. And I feel like it will be an early test of how well we can balance the Europa League and Premier League commitments. And look, Southampton, they finished the season really well and they've got some good players. I think they've got a good manager. I don't think that game's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Everton, you said about you know their signings. If they get Hammers Rodriguez in, who knows what he could do in a one-off game. Then Newcastle, again, they, they finished the season pretty well. And, OK, you don't know what effect the failed takeover might have on the club as a whole. They're obviously a club, the sort of match you, you'd expect to win if you want to finish top four. But I think it's actually a trickier start than people realise particularly when you factor in the travelling we're going to have to do because the Europa League going to Bulgaria on the Thursday before then going to Southampton and with everything that's going on at the moment, who knows which players might then end up being ruled out for quarantine reasons. I think I think there's a few banana skins in there and I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get off to a pretty mediocre start to the season. I wouldn't be surprised if we actually do better over the November, December kind of winter period where we've got I think all of the top six at once, basically it's kind of city, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, or, you know, one after the other. I wouldn't be surprised if actually that's when we, we hit our stride, but on paper, yeah, you'd say it's an opportunity for us to get off to a really good start points, put some points on the board and really lay a marker down. But 
if the Europa League, you know, proves to be a bit of a distraction, if we end up playing a lot of having to play a lot of first team players in those qualifying games, if they prove to be tougher than expected, it could be a tricky start. And I suppose with Arsenal, I think you've got a reasonably soft opening few fixtures as well. So, I mean, are you looking at that particularly with um, the two Manchester clubs um, not involved the opening game week of the season? And who knows, maybe Spurs with the Europa League distractions, you know, if they don't hit the ground running, are you thinking Arsenal have an opportunity at the start of the season to kind of make a, an early claim for a, a top four spot? It depends whether we go in full Wenger attitude or new Arteta ambitious attitude because a Fulham away very first game on TV of the new season is is going to be tougher than people realise. They'll be motivated. They'll have a couple of new signings, Fulham, I'm sure, and uh, and uh, they'll be ready to and raring to go. Um, you know, home to West Ham, I believe it is. That that should be okay. And then going away to Liverpool, who want a bit of revenge for the other day. So I think it's uh, I think it could go either way. I have a little bit of faith now that that we won't be humiliated in these games, that even if we struggled, even though we're not quite on the pace, we'll be grinding to get something out of these games. Um, I think we've just got to look at ourselves. I don't think we're even remotely looking at ourselves near the Manchester clubs, um, certainly nowhere near Liverpool um, and on paper Chelsea. I think we're really, I mean, looking at the the bookies' odds, they're saying that Spurs and Arsenal are almost on that par, if not Arsenal on paper a little bit higher which is very interesting and I don't know whether uh, whether that's based on any analysis or based on the, on the trophy wins um but but we'll see what happens I just uh I just want us to hit the ground running so we have that confidence because you know as well as I do you lose the first couple of games the the transfer window starts to end you bring in any old player and uh and it starts to go downhill from there so uh yeah, I'm 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 quietly confident, but I'm going to stay very quiet on that front until um, we get our first three points on the board, which hopefully is um, September 12th. Speaking of, of transfers, one thing I forgot to say about Doherty that I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, he was an Arsenal fan back in the day, and there was a a very funny video of him deleting those old tweets. I was wondering what the the Arsenal reaction was to seeing. One formerly one of your own, see the light and and make the the conversion and and, and become a, a Spurs man. I mean, him and Harry Kane will be sitting next to each other on the bus, probably looking for the next Arsenal score. It's uh, it's hilarious. Listen, it's it, he seems like a nice guy. He played well last season. I, I'm a fan of him in terms of his playing style, so I can't I can't be too bitter about it. Um, you know, it, it almost makes you think. I always used to reflect, oh, if Spurs gave me a call, would I say no? Of course not, because I'd love to, I'd love to be, be a footballer for a Premier League side. Um, I thought you were so, about to say I'd love to be a Spurs player. I know. I, I think it was about to come out of my mouth and I never would have been able to take it back. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, that's that's football. I'm sure a lot of these players, even Dyer said, I think, in the documentary about being a United fan when he was... Uh, and he was younger. I mean, he cried when Jose knocked him out with Porto of the Champions League. Um, but yeah, it was funny. It was a, it was a nice tongue in cheek, and it, it. I think it's showing the lighter side in um, in football, and, and and changing tune slightly about the lighter side. Um, this might seem light, but it actually seems a bit heavy to me. Is is 
how Man City can dare to talk about these fees or the media can talk about these kind of 600 million odd pound fees for the likes of Lionel Messi when half the world has been made redundant or furloughed. It, it's, it, it sits a bit badly with me. And I know you could say about anything in football right now, but what a PR disaster if City were to go and, and uh, probably, you know, make some of their administrative staff redundant based on the fact that they they are in terms of roles at the moment and then go and sign someone for half a billion pounds i mean how well that? i mean you could you could say the same about about arsenal because obviously yes. there, were, there were redundancies there and then a few weeks later there was a massive contract for william who's a player who okay he he's a good player to have but not necessarily a, a player you really need in terms of you know he's definitely he's a player you could do without and yet he came on huge money after what, 50, 55 non-playing staff are made redundant. So I suppose Arsenal, probably more than any other club at the moment, have, have had to deal with that that contradiction. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I think it will become more apparent as the, you know, not to bring politics into here and, and all the outside works, but, you know, when, when furlough schemes start to end in October, you'll really see, I'm sure, the impact that it has on employment. And uh, I'm sure that Arsenal won't be the only um, club that will have to do it. But it'll be interesting... Uh, see what happens in the rest of the window because Chelsea seem to be spending money like there's no pandemic or recession or anything. It's It's been unbelievable to watch. And every time I see another chance sign for Chelsea, I'm thinking, bloody hell, is this is this like the new city or they're going back to the 2005 days? Do you think they have a chance or or is this just a bit of uh, a bit of hearsay to appease the fans after after a trophy this season? Um, well, I'm probably going to live to regret these words, but I still don't really rate Frank Lampard as a manager. And I think, OK, they brought in Thiago Silva, they brought in Chilwell, but we know their problems are in defence, not up front. So I don't think they're going to win the title. They've probably got enough firepower to finish in the top four again. And I suppose this is probably a good way to segue into our predictions for next season and then putting our cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's still... There's still a, few, a week or so to go. A lot could change in terms of transfers and injuries. But in terms of predictions, <clears throat> probably you'd say Chelsea do have too much quality not to finish in the top four. But I would still wonder about them and about Manchester United just because I still think that Solskjaer and Lampard aren't the finished article yet when it comes to managers. And if I was looking at things objectively, I rate Arteta and Mourinho as managers better than... Solskjaer and Lampard, but it's whether the quality and the, the financial backing that Solskjaer and Lampard have will prove to be more decisive at the end of the day in terms of top four finish. I think the title probably will still be between City and Liverpool. And I mean, if City bring in Messi, then that, that completely changes the equation. Um, but I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Chelsea do win some silverware next season. They don't lose in the FA Cup final again. But I still wouldn't back them for for the title. I think that's Manchester City next next season. I think Liverpool actually could be in for quite a decline. I think people have sort of excused their post-lockdown form because they basically already won the title. But I'd be a little bit concerned. And the fact that they missed out on Werner, are they going to sign Thiago? Have they really strengthened as much as they could or should have done? Um Part of me wants to, given that this is Cannon and Cockrell, predict Spurs and Arsenal to finish in the top four over United and Chelsea. But then, I don't know. I mean, you have to think that Spurs and Arsenal can't have a worse season 
this year than they did last year. Maybe they will, but you, you have to think that they'll improve now that both managers have had a preseason in the transfer window and both showed signs of improvement at the end of last season. But if they do, then someone's got to fall out of that top four between City, Liverpool, United and Chelsea. And maybe you say United look the most vulnerable, depending on if, if what they do in the transfer market. But I mean, Wolves won't have the Europa League distraction anymore, but they've sold Doherty. Have, are they going to get any better than 6th, 7th? I don't know. I, I'm going to go out there and say City, Liverpool, Tottenham and Arsenal to be in the top four. United and Chelsea to miss out is my brave prediction that will probably look incredibly silly even after a few weeks. Relegation, I think. I wonder whether Newcastle, the failed takeover, how big a turning point that could be in terms of the future of the club. Aston Villa only just stayed up last year, because let's be honest, because of Hawkeye. Um, And I wonder whether Fulham might drop down again. I think Leeds and West Brom will stay up. Um, So I wonder whether Fulham, as much as I love Scott Parker, might be once again just not have enough to stay up. I think the likes of Brighton and Burnley and, and West Ham will all do just about enough to stay up again. But yeah, I wonder what, what your outlook is going into the season and whether you have any out there predictions or suspicions about where teams might finish. Yeah, I think a lot of what you said was spot on in terms of your perceptions of the top clubs and, and Liverpool especially. You know, Firmino was barely scoring last season and, and they have not signed, apart from Vandenberg in January and this left back for um, uh, backup Robertson, they haven't signed anyone in the past few years. And I wonder if it's just going to catch up with them, where the motivation comes from now. They've won that Champions League. They've won the league they wanted. Where's it going to come from? You have ageing players in Henderson and, and Milner. And and do you have a, a kind of solid um, partner for Van Dijk as well? I, I just wonder whether we won't see the season we saw last year. And I think saying they'd finish out the top four would be harsh. Um, but I could certainly see them um, not being you know, out-and-out title winners again. In my opinion, it's City as well. I think Pep will be hungry for it. They've got the squad for it now. Um, and, yeah, I think um, it's funny. You met, you didn't mention Leicester before. And I guess, you know, they might be going through another cycle like they did after their title winners, losing Chilwell. I don't know if Vardy can do it again. Every season we say, oh, it's the last, and he comes back to haunt us and becomes top goal scorer. Um but I think they look weaker on paper. Um, I haven't seen any big signings, so I don't know what will happen there. Wolves as well, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. It will show how good Nuno, of manager Nuno is. Going back to the very top, I, I've just got this little feeling that Chelsea might, be, might just click and go back to the early Lampard days when they were playing a bit more fluidly. Um, I think it's a watch this space. I think it could be an absolutely brilliant masterstroke, these signings, and they could go and fight for the title. Or it could be an absolute disaster and he'd be gone by Christmas. I'm, I'm going for those kind of two polar opposites. In terms of United, I agree that, you know, Pogba Fernandez and potentially De Beek is a great midfield, but their defence is in shambles. They don't know who their first choice goalkeeper is. And I think their forward line is very overrated. Um Again, I think it's very similar to, to the Chelsea situation. Either they're going to kickstart, really go for it and be fighting for that title, or they're going to be flailing in mid-table and, and sacked by Christmas. Um, 
going back to Arsenal Spurs, I do believe from an Arsenal perspective that that pushing for top four is, is kind of our ceiling and is good enough based on our situation right now. Not for the club long term, but right now, you know, we need to be pushing for top four. I could see us missing out based on that little bit of quality. Um, and I'd only be okay with that if it was, you know, everyone had tried their best and it just wasn't good enough based on everyone else. Um, and then Spurs, I again, again, I think they fit in that Chelsea United category for me, the three of them. They, they all should be pushing. Uh, maybe Spurs not so much for the title, but certainly around that top three, uh, top four. Um, I can't see Jose being sacked by Christmas, but maybe later in the season, if you know he has a falling out with a big player like Harry Kane or or Deli Ali or any of them, so that'd be interesting. So I, I guess I've been very um, ambiguous on that, almost to save my skin a bit. But I'm going to put my neck on the line and say City to win. Chelsea second, Liverpool third, and Tottenham fourth. United and Arsenal fifty eight. Yeah, that that is my prediction. It'll be really interesting to revisit this uh, next year. Um, <laughs> it pains me to say that, uh, but that's just my gut. Um, going to the other side of the table, uh, Aston Villa. I agree. I'm not sure if they lose Grealish. I mean, I think I think it's over before it's even started. Bless them. Um, I think West Brom are going to go down. I didn't really watch the championship last year, but I wasn't hugely impressed watching the playoffs with them. I don't think they've got the quality that's going to keep them up. Um, I think Leeds have made good signings. It sounds like he's a really good manager. And I think a little bit of the history and nostalgia will will keep them up. Um, And I think you might be right about Fulham, but you never know. Listen, if, if Graham Potter can't get bought by fighting again if Moyes becomes Moisey and West Ham don't have Antonio firing like he did at the end of the season then maybe they'll get sucked into it Southampton potentially hasn't hurt all might his his post honeymoon period might be over it's really interesting but I'm going to go for the the Fulham Villa and West Brom um down next year so some interesting predictions there and uh speaking of predictions you know we're, we're trying to predict what teams are doing and and it's interesting to see about what players are doing and, and this kind of leads to our segue i'm sure about fantasy football this year yeah, yeah. so obviously it's the time of year people are putting their squads together and a bummy yang is I, I feel like the main talking point with his move into midfield no. i feel like has made as much as it pains me to say it as a spurs fan i feel like has made him a, a must-have uh, i suspect jason he's probably a mainstay in your fantasy <laughs> lineups yeah, I have. I've. Um, I won't give too much detail, so everyone can copy my team. But you know, I've been changing, chopping and changing, chopping and changing. And the only two players that have stayed through the whole process uh, have been Abamyang and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I just don't see how you can't have Abamyang. He's the only Arsenal player, you know, that I would probably have unless it was clear who was starting a defence with it with a kind of cheap rate. Maybe Tierney as well. Um, and you know he, if he gets goals and you get that extra point, why wouldn't you put him in? It's it's almost a a, a sign from above um, to put him in. For, so from an Arsenal perspective in fantasy, it's a Bamiyang or bust for me. And you know his fi- fixtures are favourable at the start. You can always take him out, and then you've got all the money in the in the game. So yeah, for me, um, a Bamiyang and fun. 
funny. I, I can't get Hungmin Son out of my team for first week. I just got this feeling against Everton. It's it's Son's it's Son's written all over it. Have you uh, have you got any Spurs players that will be first name on your team sheet? Well, I uh, I don't put Spurs players in my fantasy team. I I feel like I it's kind of mixing business with pleasure. I need to keep the two things separate. I worry if I put them in the team that I'll jinx them. But I would say that I think Son is probably a better option than Kane purely just because he's cheaper and therefore easier to get in your team. Mm. I think Doherty could be a really interesting one. I, I know a lot of people have had him in their team from the Wolves days, and I feel he'd be playing a very similar role under Jose. I mean, saying that Spurs should keep clean sheets doesn't <laughs> it isn't something that I would normally say, but looking at if I was looking at it objectively, not being a Spurs fan, I would expect a Jose Mourinho team to keep a lot of clean sheets. And if Doherty is a more of an attacking defender, I think he's probably immediately become one of the best Spurs players to have mm. in your fantasy team, um, which is rare to immediately be able to say that about a new signing. Normally it's, oh, well, we need to wait and see how they adjust all of that. But you expect Doherty to come in, be first choice immediately, play a very similar role to what he did at Wolves and probably be amongst the points, particularly if Spurs get off to as good a start as, as some people think that they they will but I suspect a lot of people will only really have room for one defender one expensive defender in their lineup particularly if they go for the expensive midfield players and I suspect a lot of people will, will like you have Trent Alexander-Arnold and then a bunch of uh, cheaper defenders around him but if you want two expensive heavy hitting defenders I think Doherty is probably the best uh, shout from a from a Spurs perspective because he, I think he gets you goal scoring and assisting points and clean sheet points as well. I think I saw someone on Twitter say, oh, get ready to see this a lot next season. Assist, Doherty, goal, Kane. Um, and I hope I hope that is a combination that we see a lot next season. It would certainly be good for people who do like having Spurs players in their fantasy team, uh, if that were to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I had him in at one point and I looked at it and I thought six million is expensive if I've already got Trent. Um, and that's kind of been the balancing act this year. There are such good midfielders if you bring in all the all the great midfielders, you have no um, room for any attackers. Um, and if you only have one attacker, can you really upskill to enough of a good midfielder to justify that? And at the moment, I've got Werner on my team, but which could be a differential. Some people might be scared to put him in because they don't know how he'll how he'll fare. I've just got a little feeling about the Chelsea team, like I said. So I don't know. At the moment, you know, you've got to look at that United City front and have some sort of cover, maybe for the following week. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I've landed on a lineup. I feel like I'm there, but who knows what transfers are going to happen, what injuries will happen. Um, and and we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, I think for, for sure, for sure what's for certain is from an Arsenal and Spurs perspective, how Bamiyang and probably Son are going to be there for me. Um, and everything else I'd say is, could be up for grabs. B, that's the the fun of of the new season is is seeing which players uh, who you might not who you thought were going to do big things end up disappointing and which players come out of nowhere to dominate. I mean, Lundstrom from Sheffield United last season for fantasy players was the I'd say the breakout star of the newly promoted teams. Who's going to out Fulham, West Brom, Leeds? You think you know is Mitrovic going to be banging the goals in for Fulham? Is there going to be an is this Rodrigo from Leeds going to be the the new superstar? There'll be um a lot of new new heroes for, for teams up and down the league come 12th, 13th of September. Yeah, 
And uh, kind of um, building upon your breaking news beforehand, I've just seen breaking news that Schalke are interested in signing Emilio Martinez. So uh, there could be even more reason not to put him in your fantasy team or will be his good price. Um, I think a lot's going to change before the start of the season. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, I'm counting down the days already. I think it's 11, 12 days until we can kind of... uh, you know, stop the speculation and start seeing points on the board. And I think it's very exciting, again, in both of our teams to see a full season, new managers, um, the players we want in our team. And, and no, ex- for me, no excuses. You know, this is what you've got to work with. You've got to start the season. All, all bets are off. And uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, no, I agree as well. I think last season I was very much in the camp of you can't judge Jose yet. He's coming halfway through. You need to give him a a full summer, full preseason, a transfer window. Now he's had all of those things. I think it's a make or break season. And I think come the end of next season, Arteta and Mourinho will be very harshly judged if, if things have gone badly or, or very a lot of praise for them if, if things have gone well. I think this is the season now where they need to their mark and, and prove they're the right decision. Some would say Arteta's done that already with the FA Cup win, but who knows what could happen over the next season. We've seen with Arsenal before the FA Cup wins have been false dawns in the past. So we'll see if this is the start of a new era. And, and look, if they are both successful, it could be the most competitive that this rivalry has been for a very long time. So it'll be very interesting to see. All we know is that it'll be live. It'll be live. 